I would say that the, the, the basic position that you should take is not how to be funny or not funny, but how to be generous, how to be warm, how to be friendly, uh, and how to be fun, uh, rather than how to be funny. Mm. Because for me, being funny is just a means to achieve those other things, that I use humour um, in order to build relationships with people, in order to keep things light and fun and not too serious and that's what humor is for for me so think of it as as a tool to achieve those other things and you should be looking to you know be nice and be friendly and be good fun rather than just be funny Um, so again it's about the attitude and i would say if you have the attitude of like being willing to generally look at the funny side of things uh with other people then that's probably going to be a good way to socialize and build relationships with them Welcome back to the Clark and Miller English Podcast. And if it's your first time listening, welcome. It's good to have you here. So, yes, today, um, as usual, I am going to make the introduction quick, or at least I'm going to say I'm going to make the introduction quick and then probably end up with a long introduction. But just two things to, to say before we, we start listening to the wise words of Luke. Um Yeah, so first of all, we have reached over 500 followers on Spotify. This is a cause of celebration. Thank you very much for following us on Spotify. Um, it's great. It's a good landmark. You know, you start... 500's a number when when you start looking online and people are saying, oh, how to get 500 followers on Spotify in one week. And, you know, you get these sorts of articles. So obviously 500 is quite a good thing. I don't know, do I? Like, is 500 a lot? I think it's a lot. Anyway, it's a nice number to have. And thank you very much for following us on Spotify. If you're not following us on Spotify, well, you know what to do. Let us reach a thousand. Why not? These these numbers are fun to follow. But really, thank you very much. It's great to have uh, to know that there are so many people out there listening and hopefully enjoying the podcast episodes. Uh, so yeah, that's it. We're, we're we're celebrating here at Clark and Miller HQ. Thanks to you. Um, secondly, basically, we're, we're we're going to talk to Luke today. We're going to talk to Luke from Luke's English Podcast. Um, I say we, but. I, I talk to Luke, not 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 you, I'm afraid. You're listening to Luke. Um, but yeah, Luke's great. He's very enigmatic. He's very charming. He's got some very interesting views on comedy, which is the topic we talk about today, and um, lots of other things, especially about language learning and how to communicate. Uh, yeah, very quickly, we, we basically talk about our own... Um, one of our favourite topics, you know, both of us are very interested in British comedy. Um, sitcoms and TV shows and things like that. Um, so we talk about uh, why we laugh. Um, it's, it's, it's a stranger answer than you might think. Uh, we don't just laugh when we find things funny. Um, we talk about jokes, how we tell jokes, um, what, how you can liberate yourself by being weird, um, how Boris Johnson uses comedy, usually to win elections and to appear harmless. Um, and we also talk about a tour, which is completely irrelevant, but we do. We talk about a tour and what it is and how it relates to Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. And lots, lots more uh, sitcoms, all sorts of stuff. I'm going to stop talking about what we talk about and just let you listen to us talking about it. So here we are, Luke 
from Luke's English podcast. Uh, we're talking about comedy. Off we go. So, yes, I'm with Luke Thompson from Luke's English podcast. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Very well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. Very yeah, nice to be to interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And how are you this morning, Gabriel? Pretty good. Um, I'm at my parents' house, so I'm I'm in a lazy mood. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, I know how you but feel. Good. Generally good. We're off to Glastonbury uh, after this. What the festival? Not the festival. No. No. The uh, the the Crystal Central town of uh, of of, of uh, retired hippies <laughs> and standing stones. <laughs> standing stones. We're going to go to the tour. Like I, I think that's like a <laughs> clock tower or something, or no tower. It's is it not uh, a sort of natural point where then some kind of structure has been built on top, ah. like it's a hilltop with uh, with some stones gathered on the top? Isn't is that not a tour? You have lots of them in in ah, the southwest. Is that what a tour is? Because I, I think, think this so. one. So it's the mound with the thing, because the thing in this case is a sort of tower, right? Yeah, yeah, made of made of like stones. Yeah, it's a yeah. stone tower. Yeah, on something the top, to do with. Yeah, I often imagine sort of areas. <clears throat> is it in Devon, where you've got sort of a hilly area, and it's almost like a valley, and uh, hmm. then you've got various little outcroppings of of uh, rock, sort of hilltops, hmm. and on those you've got these little sort of towers of standing stones. I think those are tours. Cool. Okay, okay. Maybe once so, upon a time there were fires on the, on the top of them or something like that. I don't know. Okay. It's very Lord of this the Ringsian. Old, yeah, it's old stuff. And I think this one in particular has like <clears throat> Gandalf and King Arthur connotations to right. it. Something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. M- magical part of England. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very magical. A lot yeah, of King yeah. Arthur and sort of, um, sort of enchanted swords and, and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> indeed yeah all the stuff that everyone thinks about when they think of england mm-hmm. yeah but yeah i thought we could get started today with um we're talking about comedy today i noticed from listening to your podcast episodes that we probably sh- i think we share a similar taste in comedy and it's it's something i'm definitely geeky about it's like language then music then british sitcoms are mm-hmm. kind of my three my three things <laughs> so i thought like it might be fun just to pick your brains about about this and also relate it to language learning and how it can be relevant for people learning english yeah sure if at all mm-hmm. that's that sounds very much like my uh what, what would you sort of my wheelhouse is that a phrase yes you were avoiding cup of tea i like that um <laughs> it is my cup of tea as well but it, i mean it's my wheelhouse in the sense that it's like oh. the thing that i know about because i often you know talk about those those things so that's my like yeah. my my field yes kind of like this is sort of the pub conversation stuff right yeah the the the, yeah. the, com- the topic of conversation that i feel quite comfortable with the whole Good. british Me comedy too. and learning english mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes, me too. So I thought it would be great to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, first, let's just start really abstractly. And do you, I mean, I guess you've already answered the question, but have you ever thought much about comedy theory? You know, like analysing and abstractifying the comedy? Because um, you, you had a background in stand-up, right? Yeah, stand-up I do stand-up. That's right. Mm. So I've been doing stand-up nearly the same amount of time I've been doing the podcast. So mm. it's like about 12 years um 
In fact, it will for the stand-up. It will be twelve years in October. That's when I I did my first gig, sort of t- October twelve years ago. Um, so, but in terms of like analysing it and and theories and things like that, I've never really. I mean, I've got some theories and systems and things for understanding like doing stand-up and how to do that and Mm -hmm. that relates to all sorts of things like how to come up with material and the general attitude you need to have um uh but also um hmm i think that's pretty much that's pretty much it in terms of analyzing Mm -hmm. maybe joke types certain jokes common joke structures and the social dynamics of how you're supposed to respond when someone tells you a joke and things like that but in terms of analyzing let's say an episode of faulty towers and uh, being able to like break it down i don't actually have any uh, analytical tools at my disposal disposal for that i guess it can be it can kind of ruin it a bit can't it when you when you start formulating everything well whenever Um, i talk about comedy or jokes i always end up saying the same quote which is mm -hmm. that uh uh explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog uh, you can learn something from it, but the frog dies in the process. Yeah, you know. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and so that is like, absolutely true. Whenever you discuss humor or talk about comedy or jokes, uh, they instantly be- stop being funny because uh, you know they're only funny when you instantly understand them. And this is the thing yeah. about the language, which makes it so difficult. Is mm-hmm. in order to understand comedy, which you're watching on TV or stand up on stage, or even just jokes that someone is telling you. Um, you need to be able to get it instantly. And first of all, you need to know that someone is being humorous. You've got to be able to mm. identify when it's actually happening. Context, um, yeah. And, and, then, um, and then understand the actual joke that's been said. So it's very, very difficult for language learners. Yes, because I guess the main element of, of it is surprise. Like, it, it, you laugh because you were surprised by something yeah. in a way. That's kind of what it is. Yeah, That's something yeah. unexpected happened. There's, yeah. there's lots lots of theories about why we laugh and stuff, but certainly surprise mm. is one of them. A sort of unexpected mm. thing which takes you by surprise or a different way of looking at a situation which kind of you didn't realise before and that for mm. some reason we laugh. But we also laugh for other things. We laugh to validate the things that we're hearing mm-hmm. and we laugh mm-hmm. because we've experienced it too and it's, other things. Yes, actually that's... I, I haven't read it yet, but I've been listening to a podcast about it. David Crystal's latest book... Um, I think it's some oh god I, i'm shaming myself here something in the area of pragmatics have you have you got it yeah i've got it here it's i think you're talking about this one right let's talk yes that's it so this is Let, sort of pragmatics isn't it let's talk by david crystal it's it's called how english conversation works and it's yeah it's yeah. all about the pragmatics of conversations in english and how they actually work and he talks about how laughter is rarely used as a, uh, a symptom of, uh, of finding something funny. It's usually a social uh, tool. Mm, is that right? Mm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, remember, I I don't remember that specific <laughs> section of the book, actually, about laughter. I might be able to find it. But uh, mm. it, it does make sense, the idea that we don't just laugh because things are funny. And I often think that when I, when I think of, let's say, non-native speakers or people who come from different cultures and they come to England and maybe they spend time with other English people, um, let's say, I don't know, it could be anyone, like a Russian person or a Japanese, maybe not a Japanese person, but let's say a Russian person and they spend time with some English people and English people are laughing all the time, but there's apparently mm. no 
no jokes being said or nothing mm-hmm. obviously funny, but there's just lots of laughter. But we laugh for all these different reasons. We laugh to stop someone else feeling uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We laugh because we are being self-deprecating. You know, we laugh at ourselves and lots mm-hmm. of reasons. So, yeah, laughter is not just used as a, as a um, response to uh, a joke. Uh, I yeah. can't find the section on laughter in the book. But, That's okay. Uh, Don't worry. Never yeah. mind. Let's let's all believe it's there. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and um, but yeah, and I guess that person who's you know in England seeing that happening, will if they really think about it, realise that probably that happens when they're communicating in their first language too. That they laugh at non-funny things. Yes. That's the sort of social cohesion tool of something like that. Yes, I think so. Yeah. But um, speaking, so now we talked about how the, the frog analogy is good. Uh, you, analyzing a joke, talking about types of jokes uh, can kill the humor. So let's talk about types of jokes and mm-hmm. kill the humor. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I just went for some arbitrary sort of, I just sort of all the jokes that I kind of know. Yes. Like simple, simple jokes, you know. Yeah. And um, I kind of put them into sort of three categories, but this is probably more revealing of me than humor in, <laughs> in, in general. There's classics. Okay. Like the the ones that you just sort of think of as a joke, you know, uh, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? Which I've never understood. I've never, ever understood that joke. Why did the chicken okay. cross the road to get to the other side? I don't know what's funny about it. Either it's the worst joke ever or it's the, or it's the <laughs> cleverest joke ever. I don't know. But what is funny about why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? Well, is it is it a subversive, no, no, clever meant- joke? <laughs> Is this the thing that it's a clever joke because it's subverting your expectations? You expect yes, some funny answer, it, yeah. and the answer is simply, well, to get to the other side, of course. It's like the cl- most postmodern clever joke ever, even though Actually, it's the f- it's always the first joke that's given as an example of a joke. Right. And that's kind of interesting, right? Because I guess it is postmodern. That's it's that's the vibe of it, right? Yeah. And it's old. It's a really old joke. It predates postmodernism, I'm I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. But it, it, how is it that the oldest joke and the the dictionary definition example of a joke is weirdly very complex and strange? Like, you know, <laughs> why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? It's not funny. I don't see and why that's funny. Yeah, and you're right. It doesn't really give the um, it doesn't really demonstrate the dynamics of what a joke is. A classic joke, at least. Yeah, because um, there's yeah, no wordplay. Yeah, there's no double meaning. There's no, yeah. Okay, well, uh, let's go for another example then. <laughs> <laughs> which which cheese? Oh, you might not know this one. What cheese is made backwards? What cheese is made backwards? I don't know. Edam. Edam. Haha, <laughs> made. Yeah. Yeah. M a d e e d a m. Do there's lots of cheese jokes. Do you know the, all the other ones? <laughs> no, go on. Which cheese do you use to to persuade a bear to come out of the woods? I've got it, but I didn't know it. Yeah, it's camembert, right? Camembert. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. Go on. <laughs> um, if you've you got any more cheese jokes, I do. I have. I definitely have. Uh, okay, what's what's the best cheese for hiding a small horse? No, I can't get this one. Mascarpone. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. There's more, but I can't pi- think of. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the pirate jokes as well. Right. You know yeah, the pirate what the pi- jokes? Yeah, I've, I don't remember them now. Okay, so there's... All right, what did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? I don't know. Ah, matey. 
<laughs> right. Because everything. Like a pirate say R matey, right. They think R a lot, right? They go R. Mm. That's right. Which leads me to the next pirate joke. What's the pirate's favorite letter of the alphabet? R. Nah, the C for sure. <laughs> Double joke. Very okay. good. Yeah, yeah. Because most people would, would go for the R, right? So yes. You, yeah, yeah. So these are these are the kind of classic <laughs> jokes, right? They usually have this sort of call and response, mm-hmm. and they're, they're simple wordplay usually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, at this stage, I guess we should keep looking wherever we are in this and think about our students and learners and. Can you see anything so far that we've talked about that we could utilize for I th- learners? I think that the mm-hmm. the whole basic, the most common structure that I guess people need to know is the question, and you have to answer, I don't know, to the question. That's an important rule, isn't it? Even, yeah. Maybe even if you know. Even if you know, I suppose. Sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to just let the person tell the joke. You're just going to be like, okay, tell me the joke. Um, But yeah, why did the chicken cross the road? I don't know. And sometimes you repeat the joke. Why did the chicken cross the road? That's Mm -hmm. what you have to do. But the thing is like being able to identify when a joke is being said. Normally, someone will just kind of come up to you, right? How do people tell jokes? What do they actually do? They sort of come up to you, don't they, and sort of like tell you the it's joke. It's an assault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I do it. I do it whenever um, I use humour a lot to avoid social awkwardness. I think yeah. that's why I'm I'm kind of a humour-driven person because mm. I'm kind of awkward um, and there's social awkwardness. So sometimes there's a gap in the conversation and silence is is hell. Um, <laughs> but would you really so, jump into that gap with a joke? Would you be like, you know, uh, you know, what did the librarian say? So, you know, how, how was your weekend? Oh, pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Silence. And then, so, uh, did you hear the one about the three uh, holes? <laughs> I don't know. Do you, um, I don't know if we do that, like, just sort of clunkily I, I put them in. I do that a bit. Some, sometimes I do do that. Like, I'm, I'm more like, like, do you know any good jokes? But what I'm asking is, I want to tell a joke. Yeah, okay, I th- because, yeah. I think that you know, having considered it uh, for for a while, I think that the way that jokes work in normal social interaction is that we tend to have little informal joke telling sessions where one person tells a joke and then you're sitting around and other people start thinking of jokes too, mm. and that's when you kind of that's when jokes really happen. Otherwise, yeah. in our yeah. normal social interactions, jokes are the form of witty. Uh, comments and puns and little right. little sort of sarcastic moments in our everyday lives integrated and, into the into the general conversation right yes and those are ones mm-hmm. that we don't the, the, those are ones which we make up ourselves mm-hmm. that the, they're our own like creations these little put downs yeah. or, or comments and a lot of them are spontaneous as well this is yes. sort of instinctive humor isn't it yeah, that's much more difficult because a joke telling session that has a script and you can follow that really easily. Although, although the joke telling session is difficult too because you've got to get it mm. absolutely right. You know, we've all been there where we've thought of a joke that's made us laugh at some point. Mm. Sorry about the noise, and and then we've gone to tell it in front of other people and we've forgotten the joke in the middle of the joke. And that's just the worst Ooh, thing. Or people haven't bad. laughed or whatever. Um, that is actually difficult. Whereas I think the thing about sort of reacting spontaneously in a social situation, it's more about just a, having an attitude 
having the right kind of attitude and it's more of a for me the attitude is um that you're being generous and that you want people to have a good time around you and so you're kind of lifting the mood Mm -hmm. and that that's a general attitude i think um because it's not about wordplay so much as just about finding observations about what's going on or Mm -hmm. making fun of people and you know just communicating with the people around you yeah so it's it's uh it's very much a sort of social bonding thing Mm -hmm, yeah no and the funniest times i've had if i think about it and reflect is is when that sort of stuff is going on when you have a situation when you have this sort of banter between someone or a group of people and everyone's just being funny Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. it's part of a directed conversation uh, so not directed conversation a, a conversation with purpose it's it's part of something else the humor is integrated into something else yes yes i yeah. think so so yeah. i guess for, for learners of english they've got to be prepared in two ways they've got to be prepared mm-hmm. for sort of pre-written you know already authored jokes which someone shares with you maybe you know on the spur of the moment or maybe as part of a little joke telling session and then they've got to just sort of be prepared for the general attitude of joking and laughing around and being prepared to kind of operate in an ironic sort of way of thinking where you don't necessarily mean what you're saying and it's rather Mm -hmm. than about specific structured jokes it's more about just a general frame of mind the the whatever it is banter or just being silly or or being sarcastic or whatever so mm-hmm. several and things getting into the the sort of mindset of the group of people you're in and, and locking into that yeah, yeah 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 well the first one's easy to prepare for and the second one this just requires lots and lots of hanging out with people mm-hmm. who do that i suppose mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the right in the right situations as well you mm-hmm. know you've got to be ideally hanging around people in situations where they want to joke and they expect to to joke Mm. sometimes in classrooms you find that people are a bit more serious although i always really really hope my students sort of uh take opportunities in class to be silly and creative i think it can be really helpful in learning english just to kind of switch off your editor and have fun yes and thinking about classroom i'm going to come back to um transfer of humor humor like across cultures and stuff because i think mm-hmm. that's really interesting too like it's it's very cultural it's very deep rooted in culture as well yeah. so when you're learning a language and then there, there are lines there we're going to come back to that quickly um mm-hmm. before that I, I thought the second thing the second point you made about this this sort of uh, more spontaneous more social sort of humor um i guess one way of of doing of getting like prepared for that is um uh, looking at the history of, of comedy and, you know, both of us are quite into British comedy and, and sitcoms in particular. Mm-hmm. So I thought mm-hmm. I, I've got like four categories. I'm obsessed with categorizing stuff. Um, <laughs> and I've got, I've got four here. I was thinking about looking very quickly about surreal comedy because that's yeah. a major, major part of the British canon. Yes. Um, the classic sitcom. Okay. What I call the cringies, which I'm assuming is your favorite one. Uh, things Maybe. that make you cringe. Okay, you did about four or five episodes on Alan Partridge. Okay, Alan Partridge. This is the first of many references to comedians and to TV shows and things like that. There may be a lot of new names 
in this episode. Luke and I talk about them. Um, I'm going to leave a list in the description of the podcast episode with all the names we mentioned so you can actually check them online so you can see what we're talking about. And I recommend checking out these these people and comedians and shows because, um, well, it's good fun to watch some comedy in your second language, like English. So here we go. Alan Partridge is the first uh, of many references. You did about four or five episodes on Alan Partridge, which was heaven for me. Um, but <laughs> I was thinking, oh my God, some of the students, the listeners must have been really challenged uh, by that. I can tell you, yeah. Yeah, you got yes. some feedback, I noticed. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah. did you get someone just wrote, please stop? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible so yeah. yeah i did in fact a total of six episodes about alan partridge six, in was it? Okay. three and then about a year later another three and most people really liked them and i got lots of positive responses from people saying this is amazing please do more that's fantastic and then i also did get so alan partridge is quite polarizing i think it's a bit like marmite who either love mm-hmm. it or hate it mm-hmm. a lot of people really love it but then there's some people who can't handle it and just, I guess, culturally, the the type of humour and the situations that Alan finds himself in are just too awkward and too shame-filled for some yeah. people to to deal with, and they just couldn't handle it. I oh, also yeah. got one. I got one email from someone who had played one of the recordings to their class of kids, and then was sh- and the whole class was shocked and surprised when at the end something happened. So it's the it's the from the radio show where Alan interviews a child genius. Do you know that one? Yeah, I, and, and do you, I remember the, your episode on that. And the oh, child yeah. genius is is uh, incredibly annoying. And Alan ends up slapping the child genius at the end. The, the child is not played by a child. It's played by a woman. Mm-hmm. And obviously the whole thing is made up and no one actually gets slapped. But this class full of kids were all shocked and convinced that this had really happened. And, you know, and uh, I was so surprised because I just thought, uh, how did this person not know that th- this was a made-up character and this is comedy and that the so-called child was not actually played by a, a woman because you can tell it's a woman. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like in podcasting, you, you may have noticed that there's always some people who just completely misunderstand or grab the wrong end of the stick and don't yeah. get it. Yeah, of course. Yes. But that's just a numbers game. That's, yes. going, that's just going to happen. Um, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. Categories. And- Category, sorry, yes. But no, that's a really interesting point because that was a funny episode. <laughs> um, the cringies, and also, if we have time, which we might well not, um, satire. I think satire is a very important element of comedy. Um, mm-hmm. But very quickly, let's just dive in. Um, the surreal. So what comes to your mind when you think of surreal British comedy? I've got three well, things uh, on my list here. I wonder if you if they'll match. Naturally, I think of Monty Python and Flying Circus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more recently, I think of The Mighty Boosh. Brilliant. Yeah, that's not on my list. Yeah. They're quite surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of other things, other surreal comedy, hmm, um, nothing Nothing else really comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mighty Boosh is a great one. I hadn't thought of that. Very surreal. Um, yeah. I've got um, The Young Ones. Yeah, I thought I, that did flash through my mind because there were moments where, like the, the 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 food on the shelf talks to each other and stuff like that. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. <coughs> you have uh, people without a head running around for at least a minute. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, 
one thing that I, 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 when I was researching this episode, I hadn't listened to, and I, I really should have, and I listened to it yesterday. The Goon Show, nineteen nineteen forties, nineteen fifties radio show. Yes, yes. Spike Milligan wrote Spike, all of it. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I thought that Monty Python were the first guys to bring surreal humor to mm. the mainstream. These ten years earlier. Um, Absolutely, the extremely important, culturally important uh, group of guys: uh, Harry Seacombe, Spike Milligan, and um, who's the third one? The the great impressionist. I, why can't I remember his name? Inspector Clouseau. Oh God, yeah. Now I can't remember his name. Um, so this is this is Sellers, that this is Peter that thing. Sellers. Peter Sellers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, very important and like everyone listened to the goons and they were very very subversive and crazy and weird and and uh they had radio show that everyone would listen to and they definitely definitely inspired the pythons like uh spike milligan was a huge influence on them yeah um and i mean there there may be some others like maybe peter cook and dudley moore but they weren't exactly surreal they were slightly more satirical although they did go a bit surreal and grotesque yeah um and and the bonzo dog doodah band what is as well that? the bonzo you don't know you've, you've never heard of the bonzos the bonzo oh, dog doodah band yeah so you know um dada do you know dadaism yes yeah of course yeah so, it's a sort of surrealism move- yeah a surreal, a surreal art, art movement that came about as a response to the madness of world war one mm-hmm. and it involved like you know using a urinal as a piece of art you know if we put this urinal in the art gallery then that becomes art and it's sort of like subverting and and um it's the sort of stuff that makes people who like <laughs> hate modern art basically <laughs> because kind of but there's there's more of a sort of um mischievous humor to to that oh, yeah. kind of dadaism that's what i try and to so, explain to people who don't get it <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't it doesn't work <laughs> so the bonzos were a, the, the bonzo dog doodah band were a musical group who took that aesthetic and applied it to being a band in the 60s in the uk mm. And uh, Vivian Stanchel was the lead singer. Neil Innes was one of the songwriters. Ah, okay. Innes. He went what? on to work. He went to work with the Pythons with uh, with Eric Idle, mm-hmm. and then they did the Ruttles. Ruttles. Oh, that's why I know this name because of this last podcast you did on the Beatles. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. Exactly. So, um, um, they are actually a very important group. They're in. They're in one of the Beatles films in the Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, ah. the the bonzos turn up and sing one of their songs on stage and okay. uh actually a very important uh bridge between surreal comedy and british music um yes mm. yeah so yes surrealism in in comedy and um, um have you ever integrated this sort of stuff into any lessons before mm. surrealism for t- for the purposes of learning english surrealism mm. i'm not sure about surrealism mm-hmm. um because that i mean it's a bit odd obviously it's, yeah. it's surreal um but um what i have done is is often used uh comedy um as the basis of lessons that i've done mm-hmm. and i've uh, i went through a phase of writing lesson plans and um <clears throat> so okay <clears throat> there's two things one if one of them is um showing comedy in class and using it for learning english which is actually a punishing thing to do for everybody because it's punishing for the students because they can't understand it mm-hmm. and it's punishing for the um 
teacher because nobody laughs and normally uh, and then, if i've done it you know it's like yeah. dvd time friday afternoon and then mm. i show them the most difficult most challenging thing ever and because they don't laugh i end up really disappointed so horrible thing to do really you have to dissect the frog um i guess when when that happens yeah that's right and it means that the teacher does too much talking and the students mm-hmm. are just sitting there like uh, like that mm-hmm. there's that and then there's um using certain comedy techniques in lessons mm-hmm. so that's a lot of people do that anyway without being comedian or anything but it involves things like role plays and setting mm-hmm. up uh, funny role plays and letting the students have fun with that mm-hmm. but also um certain sort of comedy games that i used to play when i was sort of preparing to do stand-up um i used to sort of take yeah. part in a workshop with other comedians can you give me an example of a comedy game um, come so mind? one of them, one of them is called uh, the press conference, uh-huh. and that's where you have uh, you know your group of students, and one person goes up at the front, and they're given a random ministry to be in charge of. So, um, like when I was doing my workshop, I was the minister for. Um, so my friend was the minister for sticks, and I ended up being the minister for old world monkeys versus new world monkeys. <laughs> very weird so you have to go up and imagine you're talking to the press Mm -hmm. and um you are the ex an expert in this particular field and so uh all the people in the group ask you challenging questions and you've got to respond to them and it's very very stupid and funny and it ends up sort of producing some pretty pretty odd and funny responses there you go Mm -hmm. i think this answers the other question you have introduced surrealism as a tool for learning a language yeah well the idea the idea is in coming up with ideas i mean uh, that you switch off your editor which i mentioned before but that this is a thing that i've mentioned lots of times and it's basically the the idea that in order to come up with funny ideas you've got to kind of switch off that part of your brain which is telling you to to stop and telling mm-hmm. you you shouldn't be doing that because it's socially not right and mm-hmm. you're going to make a fool of yourself and if you switch that off completely and ignore it then it allows a lot of comedy ideas to actually come through and telling the students to do that and helping them practice doing it allowed them to come up with some pretty funny uh things that's really cool and i can i can see another benefit of that is that you know you're giving them a framework where they're allowed to be ridiculous so there's more flow going on i suppose once Mm -hmm. they get into Mm -hmm. it and that's going to just make you more creative when in english right because you're the boundaries have been expanded yeah and also i understand that there are theories you know about the idea that uh, in learning languages we very easily get restricted and certain restricting factors can have a serious limiting effect on your ability to acquire Mm -hmm. language and breaking away all of those sort of limitations until people feel totally comfortable and at ease uh, is is really important part of helping people to sort of get the best out of their time while practicing, mm-hmm. and so yeah. these sorts of comedy games. It, the idea is they sort of liberate people um, from social sort of um, constructs, you know, which which sort of mean that they feel self conscious or uncomfortable. You could get people out of themselves completely mm-hmm. and into a place where they can really express themselves without being defensive and then it's a much healthier space for for learning english where ultimately you want people to experiment, experiment. and exactly. make mistakes and and, mm-hmm. and so on yeah mm-hmm. that's really cool and yeah that's it the weirder the weirder the setup is 
I suppose the more liberating it is because you, you're not obliged to you can't make it match reality so you just have to be creative with it yeah, yeah. it doesn't have to make sense it doesn't have to make that's, sense that's yeah. another thing that's another thing that um, I can tell my students sometimes is like I don't I don't actually care what you're saying I don't care what your opinion is you don't have to be right and wrong because mm. so many of those speaking activities that we do with our students they end up being sort of quite difficult things to talk about <clears throat> because you want to be right or wrong or you want to work out what you really think about this subject while you're describing it mm-hmm. but when you take away all those things suddenly people are liberated to say anything and yeah. um it doesn't even have to be correct or i mean you know they're hopefully they're making it linguistically correct mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to make sort of sense really beyond just the exercise they're doing at the time. It reminds me a bit of, um, you know, the way actors train sometimes. And sometimes they just train not by, like, reciting something, but they just go, you know, whatever they do. Um, It's just sort of um, mindless, like, training. It's letting one thing go and and cultivating Mm. something else, if you know what I mean. Well, it's... It's not sort of... I wouldn't go so far as to say it's just like people just saying whatever. <laughs> no, I didn't mean it. <laughs> mindless, but... Um, uh, yeah, mindless garbling of whatever. But, um, I mean... I mean, uh, in the sense least... of the, the purpose of the exercise can be comparable because it's um, letting the mind go to some extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Not being... Not feeling the pressure to... Um, yeah, to be right. Like, whenever someone mm-hmm. writes an essay for whatever it is, IELTS, and it's got to be for and against, that sometimes the hardest thing, the thing that stops people, is working out what they what they really think or what the right answer is. Mm. But it doesn't matter. It's all about just how you construct your, your yeah. discourse. Um, this is the thing. They don't care yeah. what you think. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, I like this surrealism. And also I wanted to turn it around a little bit and get you to think about your own language learning experience. Your, your second language is French, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so have you have you come across any weird French comedy that helps you learn anything? I'm thinking in surreal, <laughs> like the surreal category here. We're still in this category. Um, yeah, that, that made you, that gave you some revelations, that made you understand some th- certain things. No, none at all. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> not, I haven't not, because yeah. I can't. Uh, I find it impenetrable French comedy, right? Because uh, you know, for the same reason that our learners probably do. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand it. I don't always get the jokes, and mm-hmm. sometimes I do get the jokes, and then I'm disappointed because I'm like, really? That's the joke? Really? That's it? Yeah, it's you cultural, know, and, isn't and, it? And I'm disappointed because yeah. culturally, actually. French and English humour is is really quite different, and I, I what imagine. you often get in French comedy films is quite broad comedy. You know, mm. it's quite broad stuff. And I think for Brits, we consider ourselves to be the connoisseurs of comedy, Sub- right? Subtleties and nuance. And, yeah, 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 exactly. Irony. We like to like I've dis- I've noticed when presenting comedy shows to learners of English and explaining them. In many cases, they they they're better described and I think better consumed as tragedies or char- like character mm. pieces or something like that. That that you shouldn't even present them as comedy. Like The Office is mm. is a terrible tragedy about yeah. a guy who wastes his 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 opportunities and uh, an ego egomaniac 
uh, running wild, you know, out of control in an office. Yeah, it's not really humorous. It's more. Oh, it gets quite dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, what I like about the cringies. Um, tragic, Partridge tragic. as well is. Yeah, Partridge it's, it's is very tragic. There sad. are certain moments where it's like very dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, what was I saying? So yeah, French and English comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, French comedy sometimes I find I don't know maybe I'm missing something but I find it a little bit sort of I don't know it's not it's not the same often mm-hmm. often when you watch a French movie there's always a scene and it's the comedy scene and it's a bunch of people sitting around a table eating and they have a big argument and it's like everyone just gets angry and, that's and funny. it's the funniness is in watching people lose their temper I find and, that funny sometimes. And insulting. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny, but it's always the same thing. It's just like mm. one character loses his temper and insults people in a very funny French way. That reminds me of um, the next category a bit. But no, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring one thing up before we go into that. But we're gonna hold that thought about the French. Okay. The the being angry and, and disagreements. But sorry, sure. Okay. I was just gonna add, but there are other things like some graphic novels I've found to be more useful. Ah, the actual okay. TV or film stuff. I find it's the right this, thing for me. This is out of the realm of comedy. We're looking at... It's, the, no, no, very funny. Very oh, okay. funny graphic novels, mm, okay. uh, which I prefer to use for, for working on my French than okay. actual TV and film. When I was um, learning Turkish more, uh, it's my second language, uh, mm-hmm. Asterix and Tintin were just so good. Um, yeah. The best. Yeah, best way to yeah. learn. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Uh, you've got the visuals. It's spoken language, so you, you mm-hmm. have this conversational tone. Um, and there's so many cues. And if you if you get bored, you can just look at the nice pictures. And <laughs> and uh, all the all of that spoken language is written, so you can actually mm-hmm. see you how, know, how it's spelled speak. and all that yeah. stuff, and how you actually see how people speak. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what yeah. I like about it. Direct speech, unlike reading a novel, where you know there's it's it's mm. literary in style. Graphic novels. It's exactly how people actually speak, which yeah. is great. It's perfect. Or in the case of Tintin, exactly how people spoke. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, a bit, bit old school. But um, before we move on to the next category, although everything's merging together anyway, and that's great. We're, mm-hmm. going, we're going off piste, and I, that's always a good sign. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, a, a couple of like little techniques. So if we, we have any listeners who want to be funny in English, I've, I was looking, I was listening through all the stuff and look, watching things. And I noticed a couple of things that are really, really prevalent in surreal comedy, at least. Um, and twisting well-known phrases. Um, like from the, yes. goon, from the goon show, we got, they buried the black, fo- uh, they buried the black box 10 feet above the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is kind of absurd. It okay. makes me think twice. Um, yeah. From the young ones, two of my favourite young ones jokes. You've got Neil who's sitting, standing next to a spade and he just looks at the spade and goes, you're a spade. I've always called you that. <laughs> and it's playing on the the, uh, the proverb, right? He calls the spade a spade. Right, 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 right of course. Uh-huh. And there's uh, the, another, another spade-based young ones jokes uh, when uh, he's, he's, he's um, digging a grave um, I don't know why. It's just weird. Old woman comes up to him and says, do you dig graves? And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all right. They're all right. So, and there's like as much gold as I can eat from uh, Monty Python's uh, Life of Brian. Mm -hmm. And this is all just sort of playing with idioms and and phrases and proverbs and just changing something in them. 
Yes, I noticed that. Uh, so I've done episodes about the best jokes from the Edinburgh oh. Fringe and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, I sort of did them every year until COVID came along, and I noticed that uh, the jokes from and these are real stand-up jokes, not just jokes in the ether, but ones that people have written for their stand-up shows. A lot of them were sort of famous or well-known sayings or phrases which had then been recontextualized or changed in some way you know uh, like you know conjunctivitis.com there's a site for sore eyes (laughs) you know it's like a, a famous phrase there's a site for sore eyes but then repurposed and it's often because the whole phrase it's a it's basically a pun but instead mm. of being a pun on one word, it's a pun on the entire phrase. Mm-hmm. And there's 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 lots of others. I can't remember them all now. Um, you see it in marketing yeah. a lot. One thing I notice when I come back to England is like how well how many adverts there are everywhere. But um, they use they they do this all the time. They they change idioms around or pun puns are everywhere in, in yeah. marketing. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, we love puns, and mm. uh, advertisers have worked out that if you put a pun into a commercial then people will be completely defenseless against it <laughs> yeah well it seems to work because they keep mm. doing it mm. that's right mm-hmm. compare the meerkat.com and so on do you know about compare the meerkat no What's, okay so there's there's a there's a a, a a service called compare the market.com there's lots okay. of these there's go compare and compare this compare that and they're price comparison websites Mm-hmm. And comparethemarket.com decided to uh, advertise itself with uh, meerkats. You know what mere- meerkats are. Well, I've got some image in my head. They're a sort of wild cat, right? They're sort of like prairie dogs, but they are sort of quite long and slim and they stand on their hind legs and look around. Ah, oh, those guys, yeah. yeah so yeah. meerkats, right? And uh, so they, they totally changed their advertising campaign and decided to use these cute, fluffy meerkats. And they changed it to comparethemeerkat.com. Mm, market, meerkat. Compare the market, compare the meerkat. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, this was so successful that it almost became like a franchise. And the compare the meerkat, meerkats were on TV for like a decade or something like that. Absolutely, absolute madness. But just, I don't know, maybe compare the market, compare the meerkat was so effective that they kept going with it. Also, meerkats are cute so they're, they're quite a cute. good good sort of symbol for your for your brand there aren't they exactly yeah, yeah. and it helped people remember it okay nice so puns surreal comedy uh liberating yourself by just being able to be a bit weird in the classroom or, or when you're learning english uh, mm-hmm. p- putting mm-hmm. on the weirdo hat um I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying things really grossly, but uh, we have little time, so there. Uh, okay, I'm, I wanted to look at the classic sitcom, like sitcoms, and I thought it could be quite a fun little game uh, if I read you uh, a situation and you tell me which sitcom it is. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, downtrodden, post-war, out-of-work comedian plays exaggerated version of himself. Um, it's, um, oh, damn, what's his name? <laughs> Uh, Hancock, Hancock's half That's hour. The one. Yeah, Tony Hancock. Okay, Tony Hancock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sex-obsessed twenty-something woman and a sex-obsessed twenty-something gay man live together and talk about getting laid all the time. Gimme, 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 gimme. Excellent. Two points. Uh, um, middle-class woman obsessed with being upper-class bosses her husband around to achieve that goal. He just wants to chill. 
Oh, uh, it's it's keeping up appearances. Excellent. Back of the net. Uh, two brothers in South London have to look after themselves after their mother dies. You've already got this, haven't you? So they come up with all sorts of ways to get rich, selling illegal and poor quality goods. Only fools and horses. Yeah, excellent. Uh, historical social climber always gets downtrodden by those above him and bullies those below him. Blackadder. Nice. Okay, psychotic hotel owner. I don't need to say anything Faulty else. Faulty towers. <laughs> yeah. Um, anger issues Matt. Anger issues man retires, gets more angry. Um, I don't believe don't it. Believe it's, it. <laughs> it's it's um, what's what was that? One foot in the grave. Nice. Ten out of ten. Not that there were ten. I didn't count them. Um, yeah, fantastic. So sitcoms like what makes sitcoms funny? This is this is like because these are the biggest like kind of category of broadcast comedy, and um. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them are terrible. Like, some of the ones I, yes. I put up there, like, I couldn't watch them. Keeping up appearances, gimme, gimme, gimme. Um, what makes, what makes them funny? What, what, what do you think? I yeah. think normally what makes a sitcom funny is watching a person fail. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. That mm-hmm. it's someone, not that, that it seems that the, the, uh, equation or recipe is take a person who is unaware of themselves. They don't know how, terrible they are for whatever reason they're unaware of it and then they go through their 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 day and everything goes wrong because they don't know that they're terrible and normally they've got uh, ambitions above their station mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if you've got uh, faulty towers um basil faulty mm-hmm. is a snob and he looks down on people who he considers below him and he sort of panders to people who are upper class and um you know it, this is this is often his undoing you know this if he is... treated everyone fairly and well instead of you know categorizing everyone by class then um he'd probably a lot be a lot more successful Absolutely. as a person yeah this is the same uh, kind of setup as blackadder and keeping up appearances too i suppose among many others blackadder is more with... of a, a he's not worried about prestige he's just worried about getting rich and and having it all i think the difference is that with mm-hmm. faulty towers and keeping up appearances they are sort of anti-heroes because mm-hmm. they're generally bad they generally are doing the wrong thing whereas with blackadder it's slightly different mm-hmm. because it's set during you know historical times he becomes a modern man in the past and we um associate with him because he's essentially a modern person with a modern outlook surrounded by idiots from history mm-hmm. and i think that's where the humor comes in that's that he is point. He's tired and fed up with how stupid and idiotic history is. And he attempts to kind of basically, yeah, get rich, squashing people below him and doing whatever it takes to kind of get rich. And it often goes wrong. Mm. But I find Blackadder to be a little bit different because it's not like he is, um, his shortcomings usually um, are the, get the better of him. It's more of his situation. The mm. fact he's surrounded by idiots on all sides it's not always his fault is it he's, i don't he's, think so i think unlucky. it's normally mm-hmm. it's just because everyone else is an idiot that's mainly the the single joke of blackadder is that mm. like take a modern man put him in the past and oh look everyone's an idiot yeah and it's work it works it works really really well mm-hmm. um, that's true but the main the, the, the main the, thing mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah go on go on sorry i was just gonna use the phrase victim of circumstances it felt felt apt there yeah i think so maybe and then but the main model is like someone who doesn't realize how bad they are 
who gets everything wrong and they've got ambitions above their station mm-hmm. uh, but they fail at the end that's most most of the sitcoms are that's like that true we get that with the cringies as well let's merge these categories because we're also short on time yeah like alan partridge is very much that um the office is like that yes um, I got some other notes, things like the thick of it, Peep Show, Phoenix Nights, but they're a bit more they're a bit more complex. I think they're fantastic, ones. though. Mm. They're, I think they're better. The 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 further away from the main uh, list that you've got there, I think the better mm-hmm. they get. Sort of Peep Show is just a stunning show, but I still think it sort of holds up the idea that these are people who are ultimately failures because they don't realise how bad they are. I think that that's that's true for Peep Show. Um, mm-hmm. I would say certainly uh, with, the other... with Jeremy yeah yeah and um, what's the other one's called well I've got Phoenix Knights here Mark yeah oh, Phoenix, sorry, Mark. Phoenix sorry, Knights sorry. Mm-hmm. no no Mark. Phoenix Knights yeah is there is a bit different we we really relate to the people in Phoenix Knights I think and they become quite endearing as time goes on yeah yeah and yeah, the thick of it is just pure chaos from beginning to end. There's, I think we can't apply. <laughs> Can you apply any sort of theory to to the thick of it at all? Yes, it's it's satire, isn't it? Um, because it's ultimately commenting on the state of politics and the way it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that does fall into our fourth category. We have very little time left, but um, I wanted to ask you: Have you talking of? satire have you heard of a modest proposal for preventing the children of poor people from being a burden to their parents or country and for making them beneficial to the public no (laughs) okay Uh, i think this is one of the earliest examples of satire um as comedy um jonathan swift uh who wrote gulliver's travels um probably his most famous work um this was during the long long uh occupation of ireland by uh by the british and um yeah we don't have to go into the details of that but um there was you know a lot of um like famine not enough food going around and um um and the british were treating a lot of the people in ireland very 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 badly and um swift decided to satirize how how they were treating them and how 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 that was how they were being kind of sort of mm. downtrodden by mm. taking taking what they they're sort of the way they speak and the way they they discuss these issues and taking it a few steps further to an extreme and uh, mm-hmm. i quote uh, the main part of this a young healthy child well nursed is at a year old a most delicious nourishing and wholesome food whether stewed roasted baked or boiled and i make no doubt that it will equally serve a fricasse or a, ra- a ragu so He's suggesting that solving the problem is, is right in front of everyone's eyes. You just eat the kids. Um, <laughs> and he does this for ages. It's paragraphs long. It's sustained. Wow. Yeah, it's sustained. And you start reading it, you don't realize it's satire, and he starts preambling. So it seems that satirical comedy and political satire in particular has been around for a long time, and we still see it a lot um, at the moment. What, does anything mm. come to mind when you when when we're in this area? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I always think of the work of Chris Morris oh, and uh, shows like the the Day to Day and Brass Eye, mm-hmm. which were I, I guess they were satire. I mean, they were also very surreal and weird. But a lot of the time, they were making fun of the way that TV works and the way that like the conventions of news shows and the arrogance and the bombasticness of of TV news and the overconfidence of it and and so on 
and the kind of knee-jerk reactions that are expressed on TV. Um, yeah, I do think of Chris Morris, but um, also think of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just kind of making fun of upper-class people or general society. Um, yeah, I think sat- I'm, I'm very proud of a lot of our satire mm-hmm. and satirical mm-hmm. comedy. I think it's a really good thing. And it, it should be like that. It should be intelligent and used to criticise things. Yes, I think it's a know. valuable part of a democratic society, this sort of ability mm-hmm. to laugh. And I think this sort of sense of humour is vital for politicians too. Um, now, I'm treading on very dangerous ground here, but I think um, politicians with a sense of humour tend to do well. Um, funny, funny people... Um, Let's not name many names, but we, we can well, all I think we, can we, all think, who, we, I think, we could totally think, think we know. Yeah. I think we uh, we know uh, who you're uh, talking about. Sort of, yes. No, never. Um, yes, and this particular person probably became quite famous in the public conscious for the first time when he appeared on a political satire show called Have I Got News For You? We should probably say who we're we talking say about. Who, we're talking we, about... Yeah, Bojo. We're talking about Boris Johnson here, Boris listeners, Johnson. just in case yeah. that wasn't clear. That yes, Boris Johnson, I mean, he didn't start out as a politician. He started out as a journalist. Mm-hmm. And um, and he also was quite known because he was a bit unconventional with his crazy hair and, oh, it's Boris, oh, and all that. He was invited to present uh, or to host a comedy show on TV once or twice, I think. I think he went on twice, and yeah. It was a great platform for him because he was very, very funny. And then he sort of, then he got into politics and he ran for mayor of London and he won. And it's sort of like, yeah, his initial PR for the country, his his introduction to, our introduction to him was that he was some sort of clever, like incredibly intelligent buffoon. Mm-hmm. Like he was amazingly intelligent and brilliant, but also with this wonderful sense of humour. Mm-hmm. And during the Olympics, he he you know did that thing where he went down a, uh, um, a zip a wire, of, a zip wire, but he got stuck and he was hanging in the air with these flags. Um, and yeah, oh, it's lovable, Boris. Ha ha ha! Just mm-hmm. you know, but actually, he's he yeah he's used his sense of humour to kind of gain people's approval. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know. There's a there's there's a much more sinister yes. sort of mind at work there behind it's, all of that. It's a wonderful, wonderfully useful mask, I think, for him. He seems harmless. Mm-hmm. He seems harmless, and I guess that's the thing. When you when you seem harmless, you're in a better position to do more harm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I think it's a bit of a negative way to end the the thing. So very <laughs> quickly, if you've got a couple of minutes. Um, uh, just really quickly, I want to talk about um, how, as for learners, you know, how, oh, by the way, anyone listening, anyone who's here still, um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to make a list of all, because we've name dropped, we've mentioned a lot of different people, a lot of different shows. Um, I'm going to make a list of these in the description of the podcast so you can check out and understand what the hell we're talking about, <laughs> because we did get off on a tangent from time to time. But um, yes, learners, when you're learning a language, does sort of understanding and adopting the sort of humour from the culture of that language help? Should you have to do it? Can you integrate your own culture and your own humour into a second language like English? Um, Where's the line here? (laughs) 
I would I would say actually that um, I, I would actually avoid um, categorizing people's humor by where they come from. Oh, that's good. Actually, because so if you're going out into the world, you're socializing with people. I would say that the 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 basic position that you should take is not how to be funny or not funny, but how to be generous, how to be warm, how to be friendly, uh, and how to be fun. Uh, rather than how to be funny because for me being funny is just a means to achieve those other things that I use humor um, in order to build relationships with people in order to keep things light and fun and not too serious and that's what humor is for for me so think of it as, as a tool to achieve those other things and you should be looking to you know be nice and be friendly and be good fun rather than just be funny um, so again, it's about the attitude. And I would say if you have the attitude of like being willing to generally look at the funny side of things uh, with other people, then that's probably going to be a good way to socialize and build relationships with them. So rather than just saying, oh, I'm with English people, I have to be sarcastic or I'm with American people, so I have to throw my hands in the air a lot or whatever it is, <clears throat> um, I would say generally for everyone, just be open and ready to laugh at things and not too judgmental and um, just willing to make a connection with the person you're talking to uh, and that'll work the best. I mean, you know, that always works. Mm-hmm. Just in my experiences of travelling and meeting people from around the world, certain things are just universal and that mm-hmm. is just a willingness to have fun mm-hmm. and see the lighter side of, of things. So that's what I would suggest people take away is just, you know, the the importance of having fun with people when you socialize that is so valuable that is i couldn't think of a better takeaway from that um (laughs) yeah and being funny is not the aim being funny is just something that might happen when you're getting on well with someone yeah 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 that's so cool that's so cool yeah well brilliant i'm just gonna leave that there then No, no better place to leave it have you got any final comments or do you want to tell a joke (laughs) um i don't know if i want to tell a joke i've got i've got various books on my bookshelves here that contain Mm -hmm. jokes including this this is one of my favorite ones oh it's called the naked it's called the naked jape the naked uh, by jimmy carr and lucy greaves uncovering the hidden world of jokes and it's it's uh, about humor about jokes and it also contains lots of jokes so let's see if i can find something (laughs) Okay. okay i've got one for you this is tommy cooper Oh, brilliant. <clears throat> it's a doctor doctor joke. Okay. So doctor doctor, my arm is broken in three places. And the doctor says, Well, just stay out of those places. <laughs> okay. Genius. Okay. Yeah. Okay, no, that's 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 a good one. Um okay, and I'm gonna leave that book um in the in the show notes too. Um finally, do you want to mention anything that you do? We've we know you've got this podcast, the Luke Luke's English podcast. Yeah, that's it. Luke's English Podcast. People can find it wherever they get their podcasts. They can also uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's mm-hmm. Luke's English Podcast on YouTube. And there's my premium subscription. I did a series a while ago, which was all about homophones. And it's full of jokes, absolutely full from start to finish of lots and lots of jokes. Uh, and lots of other series I've done on on the premium uh, side of things so they can go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info if they'd like to find out Excellent. about that cool and you have an app right 
I have an app as well, the Luke's mm. English Podcast app. You can just go to the App Store, download it free on your phone. You can get the entire episode archive, plus lots of bonus extras, the Luke's English Podcast app. Brilliant. Yeah, that was a, that was a flawless plug. Excellent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, then, thanks so much, Luke. Thanks for your time today. That was wonderful. You're welcome. And the insight. Okay. Yes, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation again. Cool. Have a nice day. You too. See you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I'm going to start recording. Uh, I'll stop recording.